And this morning we are starting a small three-part series, much different than anything else we've looked at this year. Alignment, this new series, is our Sunday morning series investigating the third letter of John for three weeks. The short series to see how friendships can keep us aligned to the ways of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, friends have always been really important to my spiritual journey. They've always played an important role in my spiritual formation. They are what keeps me sane. They are what keeps me crazy. And, uh, and they are people to cry with. They are people to celebrate with. How many people would say that friends play an important part in their everyday life? That you wouldn't have great spiritual journey and formation without friends. I think of the many times that I've sat in Jenny's Diner when I lived in Strasburg and would just sit there back then. Jenny's Diner was 24 hours. Anybody eating Jenny's Diner? Yeah, it's the best grease spot in town. If you've never been there, you can pay five bucks and eat more food than you'll ever see again. And so, you know, I would sit in there, uh, kind of in my spiritual searching days, and just sit at the diner and just, like, I had to figure out all of the world's problems. I had to figure out all of the problems with faith and the Bible. And so there would be times that we would just sit in there at 3 in the morning and just figure out all the world's problems. And the problem was then we'd be too tired to remember the next day what any of our solutions were, right? And then I'd turn around, and I'd come right back at 6 in the morning with my friend Josh, and he had just moved back from Nashville, and, and he was kind of like, hey, man, I think this God thing's real. And so he started a, a, a study with me on this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And we've done a Sunday school series on that here. And so we'd turn around after being out at 3 a.m. and be back in there at 6 a.m. so that we could start studying this book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. I also think about how my friends have helped me be, modify behavior at times. In high school, did you guys ever play Six Inches? Some of you guys, I know Jeremy would have. Six inches, right? Like, so, you know, when, when you, I'm going to punch you for a minute, Mike, all right? Is that all right? Yeah. So, you know, you would have this rule where, like, uh, you, would, you would have your fingers here, and if your friends did something stupid, you had the right to punch them, right? And is that what you remember at six inches? Yes, he's pretending I'm, he doesn't remember. But, yeah, so when I would have something dumb, or if I used language that they didn't think was very appropriate, they would always yell six inches and then just come out of nowhere and swing me. You know, you know what? When you start swearing like a sailor and all of a sudden your friends are punching you at every corner, what do you stop doing? Friends are an important part of our spiritual journeys and our spiritual formation. They are people we celebrate with, and they are people that we cry on their shoulders with. This letter that we're going to study this morning, the third letter of John, is not a book that we really look at often. In fact, it's really just this short letter, one of encouragement, and it's one that is an attempt to strengthen his friend Gaius, a fellow follower of Jesus, and Gaius is someone who John has really spent a lot of time investing in. It is an attempt to keep Gaius aligned and in alignment to the ways of Jesus. This is also a letter of warning because what we're going to see as we move throughout this series is that there's also this guy named Diotrephus in the church, and he is just refusing to take any cue from the church leaders or the authority. And so, uh, John wants to make sure that Gaius is aware of that and he's not going to succumb to it or be influenced 
fight. But if you really look at this letter in its entirety, it's not a theological letter at all. It's really just a personal letter. In fact, because of that, early in the church, people debated if it should even be in the Bible because when they looked at it, it just felt like a pen pal letter much more than it felt like a theological piece. It deals more with the importance of hospitality than it does on Christology or proving or defending who Jesus was. In fact, while it mentions being a Christ follower, while it mentions God, believe it or not, it doesn't mention Jesus. In this whole book, Jesus is not mentioned once outside of a reference to missionaries who travel in the name. That is how John approaches Jesus. He refers to him only as the name. Even more interesting, if you would do a word count of this, it is by far the shortest book of the Bible. And while there's a lot that can be said about the content of this letter, and we will refer to that as we move through this series, the important content of what John is communicating to us really also involves this important example of Christian relationship and friendship. This isn't a letter to a church like so many of the other letters. It isn't to a, gr- a letter to a group of church leaders telling them how to stay grounded. It is really John sitting down and caring for his friend Gaius and just sending him a personal letter, a letter of encouragement and a letter of strength. It is a great example of what Christian relationship and friendship should look like and can look like. Now, the important part of that is then, well, who is Gaius? If we're going to read this letter between John and Gaius, who is this Gaius guy that we're going to talk about? And so this morning, I'm just going to pause and tell you, we don't know, right? We don't have a lot of imagery behind Gaius. Now, we see this deep importance from John to make sure our lives are manifesting the convictions and the values of loving God and loving our neighbors. However, from John's letter, we actually learn very little about his friend Gaius. We don't know where he lives. We don't know what kind of church leader he is. We don't know what kind of church leader he is in, like what kind of church he is in. In fact, we don't really know anything about him. And the name Gaius, to even add to kind of the confusion, is mentioned several times in the New Testament. In Acts 19.29, Luke is writing as he watches Paul preaching and the city gets in an uproar and Luke mentions that Paul's friends Gaius and Aristocrus are seized. That Gaius, it says, is from Macedonia. Right after that in Acts 20, we learn there's this other guy named Gaius, but he's from Derby, and uh, we see that he's just waiting to reconnect with Paul when he lands in Troas. Then later in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, we see that Paul says, hey, say hello to Gaius, who I've baptized. Then Gaius shows up when Paul boasts on how there's this guy named Gaius, and he's just amazing at providing hospitality, both to him and to the whole church. And we find that in Romans 16. But then we have this Gaius that shows up here in the letter that we are going to read this morning in 3 John, the third letter of John. Now, we don't really know if this is the same Gaius that Paul knew. We don't know if John's Gaius is the same as Paul's Gaius. I like to think it's at least one of the same because they both seem to have a gift of hospitality. It's what they both seem to get named 
for doing really, really well. But as we will see, as we would read all those passages, for this Gaius to be the same Gaius in all these accounts, he would have much he would have had to travel pretty much as much as I did in my early twenties, and never calling anywhere home for very long. Because within a short year and a half time span, we see that there's a Gaius of Macedonia, a Gaius of Derby, and then this Gaius, which is John's friend. What we do know from Christian tradition is John's Gaius, the guy that he's writing to, is going to be the person John will name as one of the first bishops over the area of the early church. He will become the bishop of Pergamum, and that tells us that there was huge respect around the guy that John is writing. An interesting side note is if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, author John Bunyan, have you read it? Right? There's a hotel owner in that book, and his name is Gaius, probably because in the book he's known for his hospitality, and every Gaius in the New Testament seems to be known for hospitality. Why we don't know much about him, we do know this. He is a strong follower of Jesus. He's an example of hospitality. He is what our lives should look like when we live as Christian friends. And we see that he is a friend of John, and their relationship is intimate. It's those reasons that we are going to explore this third letter from John to see the DNA of Christian friendship and relationship. So this morning we're going to look at the theme of encouragement in Christian relationships and friendships from third John, and we're going to be looking at just verses one through four. It is only one chapter, but uh, we're going to be looking at verses one through four, and I invite you just to listen in as we read the scripture. Pay attention to where something grabs you or kind of stands out to you. Maybe you want to underline it in your Bible or make a note of it in the back. And just pray about that one thing this week. 3 John 1, 1 through 4. The elder, to the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love and in truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, while this is just kind of the introduction to the letter, I think there's actually some really important pieces to it. Just like in John's previous letter, the second uh, letter of John, John is also overjoyed And delighted as he hears about his brothers and his sisters still walking in the truth despite their troubled and polarized times in which they were living. John's writing to Gaius, almost like a parent. When we get a glowing report of somebody who has encountered our kids. Have you ever been somewhere and someone's like, hey, I ran into your kids and wow, they were so well behaved. And you're like, ooh, right? You get that kind of good feeling like, yeah, yeah. We, we all know what we feel like when we don't get the glowing report, too, right? But there's something powerful when, when somebody says, hey, I was around your kids or someone you invested in recently, and wow, when I, when I encountered them, it was just so amazing. I could just see the love of God on them, and that makes you feel good as a parent, right? Makes you feel good if it's somebody you've spiritually invested in. It's the same thing as a pastor when, when somebody's around town and says to me, like, 
hey, I came to visit your church or I ran into a neighbor, uh, I mean a, a member of yours at, you know, the restaurant or at Wise. And when they encountered me, they blessed me in this way. And then I get that same kind of proud parent kind of feeling. I kind of gleam like, ooh, that's cool because now we've set a really good sample of what the kingdom of God looks like when it breaks into our world. Hospitality is an example and a taste of what the kingdom of God is. Hospitality is an expression of God's love moving from the vertical to the horizontal. It's important for us to realize that hospitality, relationship, and friendship were deeply important in this era that John is writing. Many followers of Jesus had given up on their family, on their friends, on their jobs, on their investments, on everything they knew. They were lonely. They had become distant from those they knew and loved. They needed to find family. We need friendships. Most of us don't do well without friendships. And so with this group of vagabonds that had to give it all up to follow Jesus, they needed their church community to be more than just a consumer experience. They needed it to be a place of family. They needed it to be a place where they could cry on each other's shoulders. They could care for each other. Families in many situations also would have kind of excommunicated these followers of Jesus. They would have had to kind of feel like the people that didn't fit in. And to be fair, God said that he came not for the wise. And so some of the people also were weird. They were just people that were lonely. N.T. Wright says, The church was made up at this time of the bizarre, the crazy, and the socially undesirable. I like that. I wish our churches were made up still of the bizarre, the crazy, and the socially undesirable. Maybe they are, we just can't admit it. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. That set them apart and made them look a little different. All of a sudden, when they experienced transformation of the Holy Spirit, everything they knew changed. They saw their faith differently. They saw their politics differently. They saw the way they lived differently. And that made them stand out. On top of that, the church communities were beaten, bruised, they were battered, they were broken on every side. They were lonely, they were dwindling. John, who's an elder, this, this leader, this apostle who's investing in people, is scared for his movement. He wonders if it can sustain itself. Then he gets encouragement. He gets word that Gaius is a sight for sore eyes. He's living in a way that really makes the kingdom of God stand out. Folks, we live in a time where we may feel like the church is beaten, bruised, battered, and broken. Maybe you feel like an oddball in your circles and you need a place to belong. You may be worried about the sustainability of our faith or even of our church movement. However, we see one cue here, one thing that works against the negativity. Living life transformed by God in such a confident way in a contagious way, that the hospitality that God has shown us flows from us to everyone around us in such a way that it is heard about cities away. John is writing 
most likely from cities away. And he's getting word that Gaius is living with such impact that it's speaking volumes for the kingdom miles away. This letter from John, as I said, is not a theological letter. It is a personal letter. And it deals more with the importance of hospitality than it does defending who Jesus was. Because when hospitality is lived out, it defends who Jesus is. Let me say it again. When hospitality is lived out well in our friendships, in our relationships, it defends who Jesus is. It transforms us. There are a few notes I want us to take away from this introduction of John's letter because friendships aren't just fun. They are mission fields. They are investments. And they are places to be invested in for the kingdom of God. On the back side of your bulletin, I encourage you to turn it over. You'll find some places where you can take some notes and follow along. Just one way to kind of process some of this stuff again later. As you turn over your bulletin and find that spot, I encourage you to think about one friend that means everything to you. Think of your, your best friend, if you still have best friend, or that one friend that, that you just feel so much different than everyone else in your life. We're going to come back to that thought at the end. First, we see that friends deeply love. John opens this letter by saying, To the elder, my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, the word for dear there actually means beloved, and it's the same term that's used to describe Jesus or anyone that has been sent by him. If that isn't enough love, then John says it again, whom I love. So to my dear friend, my beloved, whom I love. He really wants guys to know, man, I love you. You are a great friend. That's some deep encouragement. There's no buts. There's no calls to anything else. It's just, I love you, man. The word for love in this second confession is a word that means to be deeply fond of, just to be in complete awe of your friend. To love someone in the truth is another way of saying, someone I truly love. We see in this letter, friends deeply love. Secondly, we see friends encourage and care for each other's physical need, physical health and needs. John tells him this. He doesn't just hope that he has good health, but he's praying for it. Listen in. I pray, you know, my friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. To even mention it in writing is a reminder from a friend who kind of tells you, I don't think you need that extra donut, right? He's just giving him an encouragement that I've got your back. I'm investing in you. Do you guys have that friend that tells you you don't need that extra donut? No. I get rid of those friends. Donuts, friends, right? The interesting part there is the word for good health. I love this word because it actually means that you are believing in or praying that they will prosper in health. It doesn't just mean we hope you're like skinny and you're not eating donuts. It means I hope your health is prospering in such great and powerful ways. Now, how many of you think your friends are praying for you in that kind of way? How many of you are praying for your friends in that kind of way? Right? Think about that one friend. This is something we see happening between John and Gaius. John isn't only investing in Gaius with his love, but also with prayers for a prospering health. 
friends encourage and care for each other's physical health and needs. On the flip side of that, we see that friends encourage and care for each other's spiritual health and needs as well. Right after John says he prays for his prospering physical health, he also tells them, in the same sentence, even as your soul is getting along well. In other words, I hope your physical health prospers as well as your spiritual health. The word for well there also means prosper. I love the idea of health in this passage. It also means to be uncorrupted. Friends care for their friends in a way that desires they don't experience corruption spiritually. So think about your friend for a minute. Do you have a friend that you can be transparent with in such a deep way that you know that when they speak to you about something you need to change, that you are going to listen to it because they are concerned about you becoming corrupted spiritually? Friends encourage and care for each other's spiritual health and needs. Next, friends encourage us and care about our legacy. Listen in to John here. It gave me great joy when some believers came in and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Now, if we were writing this today, we'd probably sit down with our phone and text our friends, say, hey, Bobby, I've been talking to people around town. They really got your name on their lips. They told me about how you live a life faithful to the conviction of Jesus and keep walking in it. And in these hard times, you don't let anything get you down. Bobby, I just want to tell you how proud that makes me to be your friend. Nothing is more rewarding than hearing how my students and friends are making such an impact. It's a legacy. Keep it up. Keep it up. You ever run into a teacher that you had in school growing up? And they see kind of how you lived their life and they say, Man, it makes me so happy to see what you've done with yourself. Maybe my teachers just say that because they were so worried about me, right? Right? I mean, who else had a guidance counselor say, you should probably start work study. You're not going to make much of your life. Not the joke. Come on. It really did happen, but you can laugh at it. John is doing more than just telling him how happy he is with the way he's living. He's kind of encouraging him about this. If we'd get a text from our friends like this, it would make us want to keep living that way, Right? If our friends tell us we're proud of the way that they see us living, what does it do to us? It encourages us to even live more like that so that can be even more our legacy. Friends are concerned and encourage us about our legacy. You know what? The way you're living, the legacy you're leaving is this. It's not this. They also have the right to speak into our lives that way. To go along with that, friends also encourage us in discipleship and spiritual parenting. Friends aren't just friends. They are places to be on mission. They are places to invest, and they are in places, they are places to have people invest in us for the sake of the kingdom of God. Listen to John once more. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, early in this letter, what did John call Gaius? My friend. My beloved, my friend. And now he's calling him his child, right? What an interesting. How many of you would say that you, in your friendships, would also view your friendship as spiritual parents? Or that not only is, you know, Johnny your friend, but he's also your child. It's not tend to how we think of our friends. 
But early in this letter, we see that. We see him call him friend, and now we see him call him a child. The name transferred to that intimate and reciprocal relationship formed between men and bonds of love. That is how the Greek word for children is translated there. Listen again. The name transferred to that with an intimate and reciprocal relationship formed between men by the bonds of love and friendship or trust just as between parents and children. Relationships and friendships are a place where people have that kind of trust with us. Friends encourage us in discipleship and spiritual parenting. Lastly, friends are just a great source of joy and a place to celebrate each other's joy. I love this small line from John when he's writing to Gaius. He says, I have no greater joy. Man, so, John, what you're saying is that in life, like, there's a lot of things you can do. You can, you can eat your favorite food. You can go to your favorite amusement park. You can, you know, hang out in Rome and see all the crazy stuff that's going on. But your favorite thing is me. Your favorite thing is our friendship. I have no greater joy than to see when my children are living in the truth. Man, what kind of joy are we celebrating in our friendships? John is saying no other occasion makes him this joyous. He finds Gaius and the way he's living with hospitality as a source of joy, so much so that he needs to name it to Gaius and celebrate it with him. Friends are not only good for crying on or distracting ourselves with or getting in trouble with, they are a source of joy, and we celebrate each other's joys. Now, the friendship between John and Gaius really does show us that friendship can keep us aligned to the ways of Jesus. I love the transparency and the intimacy that we get a sample of just in the beginning of this letter. In Jesus' time, in addition to hospitality kind of being needed because the church was being afflicted and it was made up of kind of lonely souls, it was also a rule that the church had to receive traveling teachers and prophets with a warm sense of hospitality. In the early church, around 50 AD, the Bible's not compiled yet. So the apostles develop a teaching called the didact. It literally just means the teaching. And they probably weren't really creative because all they were doing is kind of repeating Jesus anyway. So they developed this book called the teaching. And, and all the churches had it early on. And in it, it says, when a traveling teacher or prophet comes into your home... There are several ways in which you are to receive them. You are to supply their meals. You should allow them to stay up to three days. Only leave them, stay in your house, you know, longer than three days if the spirit is still moving on them. In other words, don't let them freeload off you. And, he, and there goes on with all these other rules about how they are to receive their traveling speakers. What we're going to see as we push into this letter is that Diotrephus, this guy that's in a church and not listening to the authority of the church and accused of the leadership, he also is failing to live up to the teaching. We also see it at First and Second Thessalonians where the church learns that it has an obligation to each other. N.T. Wright points out this. Gaius, it seems, has gone out of his way to be generous. Those from John's church who had visited Gaius had come back with a glowing report. And part of the reason this letter, of this letter seems to thank him 
This is love in action, as John was reporting in 1 John 3.18. Not in word only, but in deed and in truth. Gaius had extended such hospitality as a friend to his church, to the traveling missionaries or teachers or prophets that had come in the sake of the name. This sort of hospitality for Gaius would have come with a price. In a time where the church was persecuted, to host a known Christian would have certainly meant that you would become a Roman candle in Rome. Christians were often hung on poles in the, in the city squares, on the streets, in the alleys, and lit ablaze to light the night. Christians would have been used in this way, and Gaius, by being a person of hospitality, by going out over the top, is not only sharing his resources, kind of sharing the little bit he has with people that are coming into town, but he's also putting his own life at risk to live out this kind of hospitality. John knew that the friendship and hospitality he saw exemplified in Gaius was a result of the transformation that happened to him. So remember that friend you thought about, your best friend, the person you can't live without? Are you this kind of friend to them? Do you live out this king of hospitality kind of mentality that Gaius did to strangers, to the church, and to those who stepped into your life even just for a season. There is a great power when we live out this kind of friendship from Gaius, that we see from Gaius, and between John and Gaius. This letter should be encouraging to us. This morning, I think as the worship team comes forward, there are three ways in which I think we can respond in prayer. First, I think for some of us, we need to ask God to give us fresh vision to what being a Christian friend is all about. Secondly, I think for some of us, as I was praying this week, some of us might need to ask God to reveal to us who can be a friend like this for us, or who can we be a friend like this to. And this morning as I was praying, the thing that came to my mind is this. I think some of us this morning struggle to allow such transparency and intimacy in our relationships that we have friendships like this. One of those is for you. I invite you just to pray about it as we sing this last song. Please stand.